This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Judy Nunn, welcome to Better Reading. Or shall I say, welcome again to Better Reading. Hello, Cheryl. Always good to be back at Better Reading. Well, we see you quite a bit because do you... Is it a book a year? No. Uh, No, it's not. It's a book every second year. This is the first time that I've actually had a book coming out the following year. Uh, The reason being, it's actually not another big novel. It's a collection of short stories, which a half a dozen of them I had already written and were published. No, sorry, four of them I had already written and were published as e-books. Mm-hmm. And then the publishers had the very beaut idea that let's not wait two years for the next sort of Judy Nunn publication. Uh, let's publish these four stories. But to make them into a collection, we'll need another two short stories. So I wrote another two mm-hmm. Uh uh, thereby very much impeding uh, all the time allowed for the next big novel. But anyway, I loved it because it's the first time I've seen a collection of my own short stories in print, which for me is really exciting. And it's called The Long Weekend. So Judy has had an illustrious career as an actor, screenwriter and author, working in television, theatre and radio. Since beginning her writing career in the 90s, she has written countless books, including Spirits of the Garn, Sanctuary, Town and Showtime. She has sold over one million copies of her books in Australia alone. Wow. Mm, good. Exciting, isn't it? It is. Good for you. In 2015, Judy was made a member of the Order of Australia for her significant service to the performing arts as a scriptwriter and actor of stage and screen and to literature as an author. So, as we said, the book is called The Long Weekend. It's a collection of six short stories brought together for the first time. Tell me about the difference between writing short story and long form. The, the, the process for an author, for you? Uh, oh, well, I, I think it's generally agreed amongst most authors and probably publishers and those in the know in general that short stories are more difficult to write. I'd agree with that. Yeah. Not, not, not that, well, obviously they're going to be require yeah. a shorter time because, sure. you know, of the, of the volume, but you do have to grab the reader pretty well on and introduce what it is where you're going or your characters fairly early on. Yeah. With a bigger work, uh, particularly, you know, a novel rambling 500-odd pages, etc., you can actually amble into it. And readers, well, certainly not so much maybe, Cheryl, these days when readers tend to want to scrim, skim surface, you know, yeah. in the way that there is so much volume out there. It's, it's a bit like binging on TV. Yeah. You forget what you watched last night while you binge tonight. So there's this sort of 
consumerism with the written works too. Uh, but certainly people who loved great big rambling novels, they really liked to ramble into it and they would very gradually get to know these characters and the circumstances and they would embrace that. Mm. You, you can't and never could really do that with a short story. Mm. Therein lies the difference, yeah. Mm. I found during COVID when I was in lockdown, particularly the first six months, I was so fearful of everything. You know, we didn't know anything, did we? No, we didn't no. Know Different what was life gonna, altogether, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you didn't know, you know, is my entire life going to change? And, and for many people it did. And I couldn't concentrate on reading long form. I could not mm. concentrate on reading a novel. And so for me, short stories were solace. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Because a lot of people, I think, I would have thought anyway, I don't know yeah. if I really did dwell upon it, but I would have thought a lot of people would have uh, wanted to give themselves completely into another big, long world that they yeah. could disappear into because our world wasn't too crash hot. That's terrible, mm. yeah. But I think my concentration, it was, I spoke to Peter Carey about it at the time too because the same thing happened to him. I think we felt so distracted, mm. you know, watching the 24-hour news site. Yes, and that's where, true. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, what's going to happen now? And, you know, another big lockdown and whatever. So to dip in and dip out really worked for me. And I often find when reading short story is the skill. I mean, it just, you have to say very, you have to say a lot with very few words. Mm. Yes, yes, there, there is an, uh, an economy required. Of course. And uh, structurally, yeah. a, an absolute given as to what it is you're saying and where you're going to go and how you're going to say it. Uh, sometimes in the writing of a big novel, you can let the novel take you. Yeah. You can. You can let, I very often, the characters just take over for me and they, 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 they really write a great deal of the novel for me, actually. Yeah. A lot of authors tell me that, yeah. that their, their characters just do what they want to do and they have no control over them. It's a strange thought for somebody who doesn't write. Okay, you, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, but many years ago when I was working at Random House, we went to dinner with, I think it was a big W bar at the time, and I was walking down the street with you and I was astounded at how many people knew who you were. You were famous, really. Yeah. Oh, just the image, yeah, the yeah. old telly image, yeah. Tell me about that and tell me growing up, because you did so much television, you're on Home and Away for how many years? Well, I call it 13 because that's from when we made the pilot. Right. Uh, you know, Wikipedia and places you look up will say I was on it for 12. I call it 13 because right. I did the pilot okay. the year before. So you were on that show for that length of time and really a lot of Australia knew you. I think, what was your character's name? Elsa. Uh, uh, Elsa, yeah. Yeah, Elsa. And so when we were walking down the street, people were calling you that. I don't know yeah. if you remember. Yeah, I remember a fair bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'd been called a Vicky from the previous days of the box and, and uh, yeah, you, you are. How, how does that feel? Like how does it feel to be recognised everywhere you go? Uh, I get recognised a great deal more now as Judy I mean, people come up yes. actually, yeah, and say, hey, you're Judy Nunn, aren't you? I, yeah, I love that. But, uh, oh, no, you could get, you know, really a bit fed up with being the character that people see you on television. No, it's a bit boring. Did uh, you have privacy in your life, do you think? 
Oh, I think very often people are very nice, you yeah. know. Um, yeah. Oh, you know, get else, but it, I would think... So you won't I would always say no, no, no. But I would always say the name's Judy, actually, darling. The name's Judy. Yeah. Uh, you know, because it's, uh, yeah, you're not being congratulated on the job you do, did yourself. You're being recognised as the person they perceive you to be who sort of brain drips into their lounge room yeah. five days a week, you know. Yeah. So there's nothing hugely flattering about it. It's just sheer, um, you know, recognition factor. From, yeah, it's a celebrity yeah. factor. Do you know, Judy, I don't know, I might have spoken um, about this on a previous podcast, but I stalked Elvis Costello once uh-huh. many years ago. <laughs> I saw him on a bus in London. I think I got on the bus and he was on the bus and then he was on the bus for a while and then he got up to go before me. And I, I don't know what I was thinking, but I got up and got off the bus with him and I followed him. Now, I would have been in my early 20s. I reckon he probably knew that I was following him. Anyway, he just kept walking and he didn't look back at any point. And then he walked into his home and shut the door. And then I just stood there and thought, hmm, okay, I don't know what I do now. I was a huge fan and oh, I'd I been see. to see him in concert while I was living in London. But anyway, I'm just talking about the fact that, you know, there is a pull, isn't there? I mean, it was so funny because when he got to the door, I was like, okay. And then I just turned around and went home. It's just like, what was the purpose of that? Now I know where he lives. You're thinking, this <laughs> you is think? getting very sinister. <laughs> it is. And, I, and I'm not I'm not trying to, to belittle stalking because it can get sinister. Huh? But that was my foray into it. I think it was my first of my... Oh, no, I think I stalked Melina Marquetta as well. I saw her in Target once uh-huh. and I just followed her around. You're a you're a compulsive stalker, Shul. Who yeah. would have thought it? Right, I'm looking at you with very new eyes now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, at what point? So you're working hard. You're working as a, an actor. You're making a salary. You know, it's not like you're making fifteen thousand a year like some authors do. What then possessed you to start writing? Oh, I've always because it's such been a high writer. risk, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but um, I I was born literally, well, from when you could really think consciously. Uh, always, as long as I can remember, wanted to be a writer and an actor. I was writing my first book when I was nine. I thought, oh, yeah, this oh, would yeah? be love to, you know. What happened to that book? Um, oh, well, it never ended up becoming a book, but uh, it, it um, first three chapters, and yeah. that's a lot for a nine-year-old. What and Do it, you remember what it was about? Oh, yes, exactly. It was oh. called Dirk, the Runaway Orphan, and it was utterly plagiaristic, um, uh, pinched from uh, R.M. Ballantyne's The Coral Island, which I just adored, and I still do, read it again recently. Uh, one has to read those books that were so magical. I read it when I was eight and was transported. It's a great book. So I discovered in therein that... Uh, Dirk was the name for a dagger as well as the name for a boy. So I made him Dirk the runaway orphan. And, well, he ran away from an orphanage and stowed away on a boat which got wrecked on a Pacific island, which is sounding most suspiciously like Mr. Ballantyne's Coral Island. And off I went. So, I mean, I had a great love of reading from a very early age. And I think when you look at kids of about eight, if they have a great love of reading, they will invariably want to express themselves with the written word. They will start writing. They'll want to write. Yeah. Uh, whether they become writers is another yeah. thing, whether they even want to become writers, but they will want to express themselves in writing form, uh, which I did. So I started on the novel. 
And then I changed horses midstream when I was turned 10 and I decided, no, I think I'll be an actor instead. So and I what inspired what I, the actor? Uh, oh, well, my mum was an actress. Uh, she was a school teacher, but then I left school teaching to uh, take you know, two kids into the world, my brother and me, and uh, then became an actor uh, very actively in amateur theatre in Perth, which then became professional theatre. She was one of the a team of four that uh, started up the first professional theatre in Perth. Then she became a director for ABC Radio and uh, was an actor, director, so all of that sort of stuff. So it was seeing mum perform so often, not that she encouraged me to become an actor or anything, but uh, yeah, so I had had it in my blood, yeah. Yeah, it was around you. Mm. Did your brother end up in the arts? Uh, No. Uh, No, he was far more academic fields, uh, science. He was a zoologist, geologist, all of these things and became the first environmentalist uh, in uh, WA hired by, oh, the big naughty gang now at the moment, Woodside Mining, American company up north in WA. So he was the first truly qualified environmentalist as a geologist, zoologist, marine biologist. Yeah, wow. So, yeah. So you were brought up in WA? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that the light, like I, every time I, I mean, I, I haven't been for a couple of years now, but I'm always astounded at the sky and the light in Western Australia. Do you miss that? Well, it's been so long yeah. since I lived there. I mean, I do go back very often and several of my books have placed in WA. So, uh, yeah, I have a great affiliation naturally. I agree with you. You don't get light and water quite the same as you do, say, at at Rottnest Island, you know. And also, of course, the colours up north when you go to the Kimberley. I mean, I've travelled a great deal in the state because Dad was an agricultural scientist. So, you know, hence my brother's love of, you know, all of this environmental stuff. So you followed your mum and your brother followed the dad? Sort of, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we travelled a great deal with Dad's work before he then became very much office bound as he was the director of the Northwest Department of Agriculture. So he was in charge of the agricultural area of the Ord River scheme and right. all of that, yes. which is very inspiring. I've used mm. a lot of material like that in my books. So uh, mm, yeah. we had the best of all worlds, really. Yeah. At what point did you start dabbling in, in what did you study? Did you study acting or did you study creative writing? Or oh, there wouldn't have been, of course. No, I didn't. I didn't no. study writing as no. such. I don't uh, think there would have been creative writing uh, courses. No, there. but I, I did by leaving speech and drama. Oh, you uh, did. Which they called it in those days. Yeah. And speech and drama was literally like doing your first year uni course in, in English Lit. It really right. was. Yeah. I just adored it. It was studying certainly English drama, that's, yes. that's the title in first, and, and poetry and organs of speech and how they're formed from the voice. Yeah. There are nine organs of speech, etc. and phonetics, a study of phonetics. All of this, it's a very, very interesting course. They don't do it anymore. No. Um, and that... that that really introduced me hugely because you had to perform as well as do theory, yeah. you know, and I loved it. Uh, so that was the the approach to acting, I suppose. But also when you're acting, you really are studying the in the theatre. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking of because the theatre was my great love for many years. And you really are studying the greatest writers. I mean, you know, yeah. Shakespeare, Shaw, Chekhov, Ibsen, yeah. who are also great psychologists and psychiatrists and they're studying the human brain, human behaviour, human relationships. So it's a great lesson and you're working a great deal subtext uh, as you work as an actor in the theatre with the classics. So that lent a great deal to, to the writing and development of characters for me, I found. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So how long were you doing theatre and why did you cross to TV? Like, often too good to refuse. No, I went off to London and I was 22, came from Perth to Sydney when I was just 19, worked here for a few years. On your own? Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. And the last show I did actually was um, The Odd Couple. It was the first production in Australia of Neil Simon's play, yeah. stage play, which then went yeah. on to become movies and, and TV series and things. And it was produced by J.C. Williamson's, uh, which featured hugely in my book, Showtime, yeah. of course, which is based about the theatre. And... Uh, yeah, we toured Australia for nine months with that. Then I went off to London and did lots of work over there for about five and a half years. Bits and pieces of telly, certainly, uh, radio series, but predominantly, and some London, you know, off, off West End stuff, but predominantly repertory theatre, which of yes. course was a great training ground. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. And then came back in the, well, it's about 72. So when did the um, love story start? What love story? <laughs> Your love story and Bruce's story. Oh, Brucey and me. <laughs> oh, no, we're late developers. I swore I'd never marry. I never thought I would. My mother yeah. certainly never thought I would. I put that in one of the books in the short story actually called Changes. Mum features very much in that. And uh, she said, oh, dear, I never thought you'd marry. What a surprise. When I was uh, over 40 and married Bruce. Uh, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Because that is late for them. Yeah. And oh, not, yeah, yeah. I guess it's late now too. Oh, well, I'd lived with two men before that. Sure. I'd had two de facto sure. marriages. Uh, but I never, uh, I never intended to actually marry. Uh, but Bruce was very keen to marry. He'd gone straight from, you know, looking, looked after my mum into a marriage, uh, then a divorce, and he just needed someone else to mother him, I think. So, uh, yeah, he'd been married and I hadn't, and we we met in 85 and immediately started living together and then married in 88. So yeah. it's, that's a long time. Yes, it's about, what, 34 years married. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I, uh, for me, it's Bruce and Judy. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> they, call it, uh, they call us Juice and Broody. Yeah. Oh, right, okay, because I just, I, I often, um, would see you out at functions. Yeah. Okay, so when then did you start? Was it a shock going from stage to TV? What's the. Um, look, I'd done guest things on television oh, quite yeah. a lot. Uh, oh, yes. I mean, it's one of the first shows I did, I think, w- when I came over from Perth in Sydney, was a guestie in uh, Matlock. Right. Uh, oh, playing, were you in Matlock? Yeah, playing. Oh, I uh, love that uh, show. We were both guesties, Michael Caton and I. I'm yeah. playing uh, Caton's wife. 
and I remembered having to scream a lot when he got shot. That's about all I remember. <laughs> and uh, and bits and pieces, of lots of early stuff, you know. Uh, I did a TV show in Perth when I was 14, I think, Beauty and the Beast, but it was the real Beauty and the Beast yeah. story, and I played Beauty's little sister. Uh, I vaguely remember that. Lots of, And then in England I did, uh, you know, a, a guestie on um, the On Eden Line, shot down in Devon. That was exciting. And a, a, a new series called, uh, called The Befrienders, which didn't really see the light of day, but I was, you know, a character in the pilot for that and everything. So there were lots of bits and pieces. And then it wasn't my career. Uh, the career was always a theatre. And when I came back, when I got to Sydney after I arrived back from London, I was doing a big tour, a nine-month tour of Dodd's Party, uh, the first of David Williamson's hits, hit plays. Mm-hmm. And we we were performing in Melbourne at the end of the run, a second season at Melbourne. We'd done so well. And uh, a friend of mine said, you should go on audition for this new show called The Box. And I did. And uh, got the role, and uh, it was one of the. It was a really, really big, successful show. One of the first, like the box in number ninety six, that actually had Australians watching Australian-made TV that wasn't just Hector Crawford's cop shows. That yeah. was all we had. Everything else was imported British and uh, American TV. For, so, for because oh, we've got some international listeners to the podcast, what genre is the box in number ninety six? Well. Oh, well, the box was certainly glamour, you know, sex and sin. Nudity. uh, uh, Oh, very high, sexy and everything. Yeah. And uh, my character, Vicky Stafford, was known as the bitch of the box because she was. She was a television reporter, very, very bitchy. What I loved about the box, though, the box actually being a play on... So it's sexy drama, isn't uh, it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a cross between... Soap opera. Well, to me, it was it was certainly adult soap yes. opera, but it was also absolutely high camp satire, because it was it opened the credits was this picture of this box TV set exploding. Right. So it was sort of you know you get yes. to see the explosive secrets behind the making of television, and it was a total satire. And like all satires, very truthful, yeah. very funny, very outrageous, very naughty, very sexy. Yeah. But it lifted the lid on what what it's like behind the scenes yeah. in making a series on on television. How long did it run for? Just over three and a half, close to four years. And so number 96 came afterwards? No, number 96 started a year before the box. Oh, okay. Yeah. And you were in both? Uh, no, they were no. made concurrently. You couldn't no, be you were in both. In, oh, yeah. okay. Got yeah. it, got it. I was uh, little then. I can't remember what year it was and I wasn't allowed. I mean, mm. and also it was late. I think it was nine o'clock or something. Mm, Screened at nine. But, oh gosh, it certainly wouldn't have been allowed in my family. But there was a friend of mine down the road where I lived and her mother did let her watch it. I don't know if she let her, but we did. And I would go down there right, and watch and couldn't believe it and never, ever told my mother. I would have been in so much trouble. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bad woman. <laughs> so then you went from there to what What came afterwards? Home well, and that, that, apropos your question, that's when television sort of tended to take over. Mm. And I did that for nearly four years. Uh, and then I went back to the theatre. And then had other long runs on telly intermittently, so it was theatre. But there was a couple of years on Sons and Daughters and guesties on, you know, oh, three months on Prisoner and all, bits and pieces in all of them. So and you were never came, out of work as an actor? Um, look, I mean, you know, Touchwood, I, I have really been 
very fortunate mm. in the way that of the two careers I've chosen, acting and and writing, they're not the sort of careers that you'd wake up in the morning thinking, I want to be rich and famous, I think I'll be an actor or I think I'll write books. You know, it's not a winning choice. So, uh, yeah, I've, I have been fortunate, but I've also worked very hard. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think the trick is? What's the, you know... What? Oh, I, I have an absolute belief in that, an answer to that one. Uh, I've seen so many gorgeous young things. I mean, mm. they're drop-dead, beautiful, gorgeous, handsome, mm. and they can also be talented. doesn't mm. mean to say they're going to be successful. This is working as actors. You need to be hungry. You need to chase your dream. You need to... Of course, I wasn't in work all the time. I, yeah, I, I waited tables. I pulled beers behind bar counters and all of that sort of stuff. And you have to have the tenacity. You have to have the force to get out there and get yourself mm. in there. Mm. The same thing with writing, you know. Mm. You can't just think, oh, well, I've written a, mm. I've written a novel. It, it, this is the, you know, it's all the start of it. No. So talk yeah. to me about writing. Talk to me how it started and talk to me about how your first book got published. Oh, they all wanted it. Um, the first book was The Glitter Game, hence called because of when I was doing The Box, they sent us on a big train from Sydney to Brisbane. Uh, the Box was actually shot in Melbourne and uh, Number 96 was shot in Sydney. But they got the whole teams together and they put on this big train because uh, we were sold to the same network, even though we were made by different production companies. Right. It was the same. So they wanted to promote these two shows and they shoved us on this train and we were stopping at every little country town all the way. And they were saying, number, nine, number 96 and the box cast, come and meet them. They oh, would... so they were promotional tours. Oh, absolutely. And Tom Greer was his name. He was the uh, head, the publicist for uh, Number 96. And at six o'clock in the morning, there'd be this whole township gathered at the railway station. And uh, <laughs> we'd been asleep overnight and there'd been, I can't begin to tell you the shenanigans that went on during the night. Mm. Um, but I hasten to add, I wasn't part of it. But I do remember having a few too many jars and, you know, yeah. crawling up onto my top bunk somewhere. But I believe there was a lot of other stuff going on. And anyway, there's Tom Greer running from carriage to carriage saying, come along stars, glitter, glitter stars, glitter, which I always thought was... He was so camp. So I called the book, you know, The Glitter yeah. Game, which it was, you know, just all glitter. And uh, it was this satire, very much sort of based along the lines of of the box, really. Uh, but it wasn't written until I was doing Home and Away. This is years ago. So retrospectively, I was yeah. thinking of the satire of the box. And so The Glitter Game was my first book. And because I was pretty well known on telly, I'd been saturated by that time. I'd been on, I was on three soaps consecutively to air and all that. Everybody thought it was going to be a kiss and tell book. So it came in as a top bestseller and, and publishers were vying for it. So okay. I was lucky there. So here you are, you're an actor. You've got the experience of being a theatre actor. You're a television actor. What experience did you have to write a book? Life. Yeah. Well, as I and said... And discipline. I mean, you have to sit down oh, yeah. and you, oh, talk yeah. to me It's about far that. more discipline to write a book than it is to be an actor. To be an actor, the discipline is, as they say, it's just a gorgeous saying, and I adore it. You know, learn your lines, turn up on time, yeah. and don't trip over the furniture. Of course, it's a far more skilled job than that, but but it the dictates are there. You have a script you have to learn, you have to get there on time, and you have to learn your your moves, they, the blocking, all of this sort of stuff. With the, the writing, yes, you have to develop your own discipline. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, develop your own times when you sit down, when you, you haul your brain into that into that area. Because when you wrote it, had you written any long form at that stage? No, I'd, I'd written two books in partnership with two other uh, children's novels, very successful. Right. And I'd written two novels uh, for children, younger adult reader for 8 right. to 12-year-olds, on my own. Right. So I knew that I loved writing. I'd also written quite a lot of scripts. Uh, I wrote a number of scripts for early neighbours. So, uh, yeah, I, I was writing quite a bit, yeah. uh, but I just hadn't embarked upon my first adult novel. So I decided, yep, I'm going to be head a novelist. Yeah. And did well, you... not necessarily. I'm no. going to write a novel. I didn't say set out to think I'm going to now embark upon a career as a novelist. Mm. Not remotely. As I said, I did uh, Home and Away for, in my estimation, 13 years. Uh, during that time, I had five books published. So after a few years of playing Elsa, good character, nice, strong character, good, uh, I really needed another creative outlet. Uh, mm. You know, I, I wasn't accustomed to working as one, in one role for mm. that period of time. So I took up writing my first novel. Then my, I had five books published during 10 years. Mm. So by the time I left, I actually had a readership following. That's, again, another lucky thing. You know, I hadn't set out to say I'm going to earn my living as a novelist. It just happened. Yeah. But also, too, I guess it's it's hard work because you were doing two jobs, really. Oh, yeah, but but as I say, because I wasn't being whipped by a publisher saying, no, we need another book quickly, I, I was just having such fun yeah. creating something new. Mm. I mean, very often when you're working in an ongoing soap, you, you can have hours and hours and hours in between out at the studio, depending upon what sets are called up for the day. Mm. You might have a lot of scenes in, you know, the first set that's called up, you know, your family home. Then the diner set or some other set might not be called, might not be there till five o'clock. So you've got, you know, mm. sort of five, six hours. So yeah. I would have my own dressing room. I had it in my contract. Office chair, office desk, bring and in my computer. And were you at a typewriter there? Or oh, a computer? Yeah computer, yeah. So when you left television then, you started writing full-time, I yep. guess. Was that liberating? Oh, yes. I didn't resign myself to never acting or anything like that. I've been an actor for too long yeah. to say I've given up. I'm not an actor anymore. But the books very quickly became my life, the most exciting part of my life. So they were first priority. And also I had quite a few offers for theatre, which would have been attractive, but working in theatre is actually much more, much harder work than oh, working yeah. on television, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Uh, television actors won't say that. They'll say, oh, my God, I have to get up at 5.30, you know, to be whatever. And I, well, okay, yeah. No, I find working in theatre far more uh, taxing. And so I, I don't think I would have been able to do eight shows a week, mm -hmm. six evening shows, two matinees, sometimes two, and also be able to write books. Mm. You know, cameo stuff's on telly and stuff like that. I would have been able to and still write my books. But, you know, mm. so it, that that did make it become a choice and I chose writing. Yeah. For me, who I've been in this business, as you know, Judy, a long time. My entire career now has been working in the book business. I have never come across an author so beloved as oh, you. Oh, dear, that's a lovely thing to say. It's Why true. do you think that is? You know, I don't know. And I, and, and I go back to that time I was walking down the street with you and, and people were coming up to you. But I see it now in our community that 
everyone knows who you are as Judy Nunn. You're right. That's, That's nice. Yeah. yeah. And people adore it. Oh, I haven't read this one yet. But you come up, well, firstly, you come up in our top 100 almost every year. I think it's been every year. That's great. And then when we start talking about you, and even when if we're not talking about you, people will talk about you. And I think it's because you have touched people in your t- storytelling. I don't know how much you think about the reader when you're writing, but the reader seems to appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I I, I think my books are very, very character-driven. Yeah, I hope I tell a good story and I have a decent plot. I mean, certainly uh, some books I get very intricate and involved in with a big reveal maybe at the end or whatever. The books are very different. But I think it's a mixture of the characters will take you on their ride. They take me on their ride. Uh, The characters will be somebody, people that people, that others, that readers really either love or they either hate, whatever it is, they get very involved in. And also the other thing is that because I am very much a writer of historically based Australian fiction, Mm -hmm. uh, people love to learn uh, about their country, their history, their uh, right back to early history too. I, I, I tread on quite a lot of ground that does involve our first Australians mm-hmm. and I've always had beautiful reactions from the many mm-hmm. Aboriginal people that I know and I bump mm-hmm. into so many and mm-hmm. I have a number. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I'm just about to do, I've said I'm not acting anymore, just about to do a bit of a role in a film made by Indigenous filmmakers, which is lovely, Bruce and I playing a couple of grandparents. But anyway... Apart from that, there's also the factor that Australians are starting to travel, or at least quite quite a lot in their own country, Mm. and they love to read also about places they've been to and discover the history of that Mm. through the characters that I've written. So there's this whole amalgamation that has a feel-good. This is the reaction I get from readers who get in touch with me. Mm. No, no, you're beloved. Well, what can I say, Judy? Just keep writing. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks, Cheryl. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. are on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.